Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to White Lion Fever. It's a new episode for you. Uh, my name is Steve Mascord, but it's uh, the final part of our interview uh, here um, with uh, the wild uh, Dylan Villain. How are you, mate? Doing great, man. How are you? Good, good. We were just talking off air about, um, I guess, Australian bands, and you brought one up, Airborne. You've previously toured with um, Wolf Mother, and I know you are mates with uh, the Lazies. Is it? What do you? Is it? I mean, we in Australia, maybe we 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 tell ourselves there's a there's an Australian rock sensibility. There's a certain sound. There's a certain way. Of, Angry Anderson says. Uh, the way a guitar sounds when it's played by Australian is slightly different. Are we kidding ourselves, or or is there something those bands have in common? Is there something, something there? Well, first of all, you know, aside from all those great rock, Australian rock bands that you named that we've toured with, we've also toured with Rose Tattoo several yeah. times. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, those guys uh, have been incredibly instrumental in our career right before we even knew them because of the sound that they uh, along with of course ACDC and you know the Angels and so many other great um, you know Jimmy Barnes like there's so there's so many great Australian rock bands and and there is he, he, Ango's completely on he's completely on point with when he says it I've heard him talk about it in detail and we've actually talked about it um, we've discussed it several times for me for him it's the guitarist it's the, the thing that he likes to you know bring up in, in his quotes and he's not wrong at all I mean look at how many great Australian guitarists there are Bob Spencer I mean Angus Young Malcolm Young of course like there's I, I could go on but um, for me personally what I think where it where it really lies is in the backbeat of the drums um, mm. There's something about Australian drummers that play proper Aussie pub rock or rock and roll or rockabilly even in punk rock. You know, there's bands like The Living End, also a fantastic, uh, you know, punk side of rockabilly rock and roll band from Oz. And there's something about the backbeat of the drummers of these bands. I mean, Phil Rudd is uh, is one of the kings of it, in my opinion. And it's it's I've analyzed it. I've spoke about it with drummers, other drummers and um you know, there's just something about that rhythm. There's something about the way <laughs> that these Aussie bands and Aussie drummers can can play this rhythm that I've I've never really heard anybody else do it quite like it. So I don't think he's wrong. I think there is really something special about um, just the, the rhythm, the natural rhythm of your people, and it's uh, it's a really cool thing. It is. It is. Um, that's a great answer, by the way. Thank you. Um, before we go, I just want to ask you about the video clips, uh, especially some of the early ones. I mean, obviously, you know, very story-based and very funny. Uh, obviously, they've all right, you know, right up to the most recent one. They've got high production values. What? And, and you obviously are involved in. Um, a, you got as you've said, you got your finger in so many pies within the band. So I'm sure that you're directly responsible for that. Um, how? Can you can you make a really good video now inexpensively, or is it does it still cost an arm and a leg? What's the secret to to getting a good video done and, and uh, in an affordable way? Yeah, it can be. I think the truth um, and the real trick to it all is to find to align yourself and first find, but align yourself with um, somebody else who shares the right vision. Um, it's just it's kind of the same thing with all aspects of art 
you know, artistic uh, endeavors. You want to find people that are like-minded with you that you can communicate with and get your ideas across properly. And once you have that, um, it's I find it a lot easier to to get down to the brass tacks of things, so to speak. Mm. I mean, if so, especially if somebody like <clears throat> if you're working with somebody and they really like the project and they believe in you, then all of a sudden, you know, it becomes less about you know, uh, union rates or, or anything like this, you know, um, I feel like if you, if you're working, if you're working with people that specifically do music videos, they tend to have, they tend to be somehow from the scene of being in a band and understand that not everybody is really, first of all, willing, uh, has the budget to spend $50,000 on a music video. First of all, second of all, no one's really willing to spend that on a music video anymore because, let's face it, uh, music music videos aren't even played on television anymore. So it's not even as if they're going to necessarily help your album sales. You know what I mean? So um, I think that you find somebody that's like minded that understands what you're doing that shoots music videos and they're they're under you know understanding of how the budget really works and they're not afraid to do more themselves mm-hmm. in my experience there's a lot of film types that want a person for this a person for that and a person for this and man like we grew up playing in punk bands and it's like if you can't do five things yourself you're in the wrong spot man like, <laughs> yeah, you know? You gotta be you gotta be DIY as much as you can to save that money. And you know, if I'm making a music video, um, and I'm and I have a budget of you know X amount of dollars, I'm finding ways that I can hang on to so much you know so much of that money. So it's no different than you know being in charge of production on a music video. You're really trying to just whittle down costs where you can and and take chances and, and make it happen for as little as possible. So it's also like, look, there's ways of making stuff really cool and expensively. It can, as long as it looks cool and it doesn't take much to make things look cool nowadays, as long as you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, just make sure you're, you know, being true to who you are as an artist in a band and doing it, how your band wants to be represented. You know, there's been, a, there's definitely been times where I've worked with people where they think that, it should be one way and you know you got to be true to who you are and you got to know you know what your band is all about and what you know that that image is uh, portraying behind your music so yeah, it's it's a part and parcel you know one part being able to communicate with who you're working with and just uh, knowing what you want to do and speaking of looking cool last question playing guitar on the roof of a moving police car tell us the the movie magic behind that what actually happened how did you how did you manage that well, we got a police car. Um, we got it brought to set. We t- we rented it and kept it for uh, we uh, kept it for three days. And uh, I got on the roof of it, and it drove down the road. And they played the music out of the stereo of the car, and then uh, shot it with a drone camera. My God. Sim- Speak about union regulations. <laughs> um, one, one more song. One more song, Dylan. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. And everybody out there, just keep supporting the bands that you love and rock and roll will never die. This is bad news from the wild. New album, Still Believe in Rock and Roll, out now. Go pick it up. To my road and I can't look back. Yeah, my dudes And I'm home
Welcome back. And uh, our guest, uh, a fellow who, by my recollection, I last spoke to in Portland in 1990, uh, is uh, from LA Guns, Kelly Nichols. How are you? How's that possible? Hey, man, how's it going? Good, good, good. How's, how's your day going? All right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's nice and chilly here on the East Coast, so we're doing all right. Now, um, I was, uh, you, you, the new album, Renegades, is out um, next month, and I was just wondering, do we have Mark Alexander Erba to 100% thank for this music? Uh, or would you, he's the CEO of Golden Robot, your new record company, or would you have recorded something anyway? Yeah. Um, no, we definitely have him, him to thank for it. I mean, we have a small part in the, small part in it, but yeah, he, uh, he came to us after the uh, M3 show we did uh, last year. Uh, it's a big festival here in uh, Maryland. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, he's a fan, he's, a, he's into the music, he knew who we were, um, and uh, he's great. So we have a really good relationship. So yeah, offered us a deal and we were going to, uh, we weren't really gonna do it right away. We we're gonna try to do it this year, 2020, but uh, they wanted it done. So luckily we, we did it and we have it or else we probably wouldn't have been, been able to ha uh, do it or have it at this point. That's awesome. And, and I, I've read that you sort of um, pre-sold like, you know, the first pressing, the second pressing, you're onto the, onto the third pressing. In one interview, he said it'll be the biggest selling LA Guns album of the last 20 years. So uh, is that a bit of sort of exaggeration on the part of the proud boss or is it, a, is it actual fact? <laughs> oh, no, man, he loves it. So, I mean, I, I'm hoping that, you know, his experience and... Uh, it's you know something that we can kind of lean on but yeah it seems to be uh it seems to be some interest out there and hopefully uh you know we'll get to you know some people to hear it would be nice 
<laughs> what, what's it like doing all this again, Kelly? Like, I think you said you didn't write a song for 25 years. Um, right. How does it feel? It's like riding a bike, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I felt uh, it was a good time to get back into it with all this happening and stuff. Um, so, you know, it was fun. I mean, I had a great time the first time around and, you know, always enjoyed the process and got to meet a lot of cool people through the years. So I took a definitely a 25-year break <laughs> and ended up back in here. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's great to be able to have a second chance to uh, do it all again. So I'm really excited for it. We had a bunch of tour dates for this year lined up, so we were looking forward to that, but um, hopefully next year. So um, you've been a little bit evasive in some questions about where you were for 25 years. I mean, we can find some of it on the internet. You know, um, you know, you had a kid and, uh, you know, you were involved in a reality show. Um, but um, can you fill in the gaps for us? <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, you know, I did. I raised a, I raised a couple of girls and had, um, uh, you know, just had to figure out other things to do. So I've, I've done all kinds of things, really. I've, I've taught some music. I've worked on a shark cage diving boat for a few years. I've done construction. I've worked in a garage. Um, I've done all kinds of stuff just to, you know, stay busy and, uh, so yeah, so yeah. <laughs> what, what, still evasive, <laughs> but what confused me was that I read, and, and this was actually caused a little bit by this show was that, um, um, uh, when, when, you know, Phil Lewis said we invited him back and he didn't want to come back and you responded by saying, oh, um, no, um, we weren't invited. And then he said he wouldn't cope with it with his privileged lifestyle. Did you see that quote from Phil Lewis? He said he wouldn't, he wouldn't cope last for five minutes with his privileged lifestyle. And I just had that in my head, the yeah. millionaire, like, you know, Richie Rich or something. But do you know what he meant by that? Or? <laughs> um, you know, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was rude. Um, I, I have uh, a daughter who's, who acts and stuff and she does pretty well, but uh, you know, that doesn't really, reflect on my uh, life that much, you know? So, um, yeah, well, actually, you know, he didn't, they never asked us to come back. So when Phil and uh, Tracy started their reunion, you know, um, I, I asked if I should, if I could come back or if, you know, I thought it would be a good idea if I came back. Um, my youngest daughter went to, was going to college, so I figured I had some time now. And, uh, you know, he made it clear, no, man, <laughs> they didn't want me back. So they didn't ask Mick. And they definitely didn't ask Steve. Um, so, you know, they had a little two-man reunion. So that, that's kind of like the catalyst of all of this. And, you know, for us to have, have been in the band uh, during its kind of heyday thing, and Steve always been doing it for the last, you know, 25 years or so, um, and having legal right to half the name, um, you know, that's how we just kind of got here because they didn't want us. So we ended up here. So it's like, it's your, it's, 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 it's you, you know, you're, you're a part of something, but, but, but part of it doesn't want you in it. Mm. So what are you supposed to do? Like, are we, are the rest of us just supposed to like, you know, sit back and do nothing and just mm. let them go and have, uh, have a good time. Uh, you know, it didn't really work out that way. So now we're, uh, you know, so now we're here too. We're here to stay. It's uh, really weird to see myself in each of your glasses there. Um, um, let's, yeah. have, let's have a, uh, for the people listening, we're not going to play it for the people watching, but for the people listening, okay. what, what, song, what song can we play? 
Uh, you can play uh, Well Old Machine, one of the uh, new tracks off uh, the upcoming album Renegades. Um, cool song about, um, uh, you know, uh, your, your motorcycle. <laughs> it's a love song for your motorcycle. <laughs> Yeah. 
everybody. This is Kelly from LA Guns, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to White Line Fever, and uh, our, our our guest is from the Casanovas. It's Damo. Damo, um, how hard is it to keep a band together for 20 years? You've been going for what 21 years now. Um, when you know mm-hmm. you you kind of you know you you've you, you I guess you know you, it's not your full time job, uh, and it would be probably along during that journey it would have been easier to quit than continue m- multiple times. Um, how, 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 how hard is it and what does it require to sort of stay at it? I don't think it was hard really for us at all. I mean, I think just, just you know, shit changes during the, during the years really. And it's, um, I think for us it was always we just wanted to create and write and, and, and you know, write really good songs and play live and, and I guess, play with each other as mates. And that, that was always the same. So, you know, that remains the same as it did when I first joined the band, which was in, was it 2001 or two or something? So a long time ago. Um, but I think, you know, through that ride, you, you have, when we were a lot younger, we, we rode the sort of um, success train of, of uh, major labels and all that sort of thing and got sort of um, taken around the world for... Um, to play in, um, you know, those kind of audiences. Um, you know, we, we did some great tours through the years as well. And it's all experiences. And I think, um, I think it actually becomes easier the, the older you get because you really start to park your egos and it all just becomes, hey, we're good mates. We love rock and roll. We love playing with each other. So mm-hmm. you sort of become a lot more seasoned in doing that. And once the, once the egos are gone and there's no bullshit, it just becomes actually a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember like, you know, being overseas and at one point you guys had about the same level of sort of notoriety as Airborne, you know, and I guess Airborne um, now, you know, live on the road and if, if you don't want to do it uh, hardcore, then you're out, kind of, you know what I mean, from just being an outsider. Um, was there a sliding doors moment where, where things could have gone that way for you guys and, 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 and you had to make choices? Um, you know, was there... They're parallels in the two the two bands because you came from both came from Victoria both came up around around the same time. Um, are there any yeah. parallels? Uh, look, I think so. I, I think um, I think timing's everything, you know. And um, at the time when we, I guess, were at the 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 peak of, I guess, the the rock renaissance of sort of, you know, that um, late nineties, early two thousands period. Uh, we were courted by, you know, Lee Lust and Electra Records and we were over in New York and uh, we got passed up on. And, and, you know, one of the reasons we got, they don't usually give you a reason, but one of the reasons we got was they had just signed an Australian rock and roll band and that was Jet, you know. So, yeah. and, and what a good choice it was. Um, but I, I think, you know, you can, there was a lot of things happening at that time. And I think, you know, we just missed out. And, and probably the sliding moment, sliding doors moment was perhaps we could have found an alternative way of, you know, we might have moved out of the US and done a lot more with just, you know, trying to sort of tour, do it the hard way and all that sort of thing. But we didn't. We came back to Australia and, you know, um, we did things our way. And look, I, I think. In terms of notoriety and you know fame and fortune and all that, we didn't get that. But what we did have, 
and we still have is, you know, rubber records. We've been with those guys on that label from the start and we've had support from that label and been able to, whenever we want to write some songs, do an album, you know, get some support for touring, we've always had that. Mm-hmm. So whereas a lot of those bands sort of, you know, maybe got the, the, the fortunes that uh, are plenty um, that were fleeting and, and sort of they're kind of nowhere now, We've kind of had a, a, a lesser notoriety but slower grind where we've been able to do what we want to do, which is, you know, which is cool as well. Yeah, yeah. Mate, um, I wanted to ask you about the song uh, Midlife Crisis. There's some real sort of pathos there, you know, in the, in the grooves and a lot of the um, songs are playful and fun on the album, but it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a serious... Um, it's almost like I listen to it and I want advice on how to digest that song am i supposed to feel sad or am i supposed to sort of have a wry smile and and think that it's 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 meant to be ironic and a bit of a joke i'm i'm I'm, hope, I'm wondering if you can help me there well how how should when i listen to that song how should i feel <laughs> it's the Casanovas. it's always a wry smile <laughs> what can you tell us about the song uh look that song it's it's not supposed to be you know all broody and serious um, you know, there's there's some funny moments in there. I, I think it's just probably how it comes across. It's it's sort of um, if you take the other songs in comparison, it, it probably you know stands out a little bit that way. But it's not it's not supposed to be. It's it's a it's just a you know a um, uh, a take on hey we're all in our forties now you know so um, we don't feel it but we are and 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 maybe this is how we we're supposed to be lamenting about our our older our older days and that's all it is you know
Fever. Welcome back. And our guest, with some ado, but the ado is over, so no further ado, is Donny V. How are you, Donny? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Really well, really well. Now, um, you know, like doing the normal research that you do for an interview like this, the normal, uh, you know, musician interviews and stuff. And then I listened to uh, that song, All My Favourite Things, and I realised that there's a much bigger story here. Um, um, there's a, probably one of the, you know, a great untold lockdown narrative, you know, a pandemic, you know, story um, about that, that's sort of buried in, in the lyrics of that song. Um, can you can you fill in a few gaps for us about what happened to you before the pandemic hit and and what happened after? Yeah, the the song I didn't bury anything. It's right there out in the right there on the table. Um, it's just when the pandemic came, it it uh, became more universally uh, have more meaning to everybody, you know, than just me. I was. I, I was an, another near-death experience. I was in the hospital and, uh, you know, the doctor said I was going to die and all this and that. And then, obviously, I lived through it. And uh, the conditions of, of how I was uh, being permitted to live and survive were, uh, weren't really conditions under which I could see myself living my life. And so that's why I wrote that song. You know, I mean, I'd rather... Uh, I'd rather take my chances living living my life than than to live some life that that's no life at all, you know, at least for yeah. me. And so that's what the song is about. And then uh, the pandemic came, and then it 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 kind of uh, could have a meaning to to everybody there at that point. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm really scared, and uh, and uh, you know. Sorry, I mean, I've got. I feel all right, but I'm not okay. Why would I choose to fight? The same thing happens anyway. I won't let nothing clip my wings. I'd rather take my chances in the dark. I mean, you know, you're painting a story of a pretty serious illness there. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, what sort of situation and what sort of affliction le leads you to a place like that to write a song like that? It was, uh, it was a long time coming from years and years of abuse to my body, you know, and, uh, so my pancreas basically melted. And, um, you know, I never even really realized what, what pancreas is or any of that stuff until then. And, uh, and um, I guess it was pretty hardcore, you know. I never felt, never felt like that I was dying, you know, even though I was being told that that, that's, that could very well happen. I never felt like that. And, uh, and the, the, everything else that I've lived through in my life, it, there's – if there's one thing that's clear is that I'm supposed to be here for some reason. And so that's, uh, it's like, why do this and why do that? Because, you know, all the way through my life, you try to do the other thing. You try to do it. What everyone's told you is the right thing to do and this and that, and nothing changes. <laughs> you still get the same results, you know, and uh, that's what that line means, you know? Yeah. And, and the situation, I guess, maybe your personal situation and also the situation where we were all in last year, how big a role did that play in you sort of making contact with, with Chip and, and, and I guess sort of, um, you know, reconciling to an extent? What, you mean this dad experience? Yeah, and I guess coupled with we, we, we're all I, in lockdown, you know what I mean? So. Well, um, some business, some business uh, things that came up is it was responsible for Chip and I talking again and um, 
And I'm glad that that happened because that was really, uh, really fucking my head up pretty badly. Um, and um, I'm glad that we're at a, a point right now where, where we can talk and, and, and act as friends or whatever and, uh, and, and uh, have input into each other's lives and careers again. You know, like he's in, he's on my new song, my next single and, and video, and uh, which is going to be really great. He's on that. And he, you know, by lately, I just send him, send him something and he'll play the bass on it and send it back to me. So it's kind of got the best of both worlds. You know, I don't, <laughs> don't have to deal with all the fuckery, but I still get the best play, bass player in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to that next, but I warned you before you come on that for the people listening on the podcast, uh, we're going to play a song now. Um, what, what song can we play uh, there, Johnny? Oh, I don't know. Any one of them is as good as the other. <laughs> you choose. Okay. Coin. Okay. We, okay. There's, a, there's about 300 songs to choose from. Just run your finger down and just stop anywhere. They're all as good as the, uh, as the okay. next. <laughs> 